The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Good afternoon. I'm Aaron Strout, the Chief Marketing Officer of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry Podcast. And today I'm going to bring you a special story from one of my colleagues. I'm not going to say much because I want to let um, this person tell their own story. And if I share too much up front, um, I will give away uh, the punchline. Uh, But I will tell you that it is a woman named Sally Schaefer. She's a VP of Community Engagement Strategy uh, at 21 Grams, which is part of Real Chemistry. Um, she is a advocate and uh, has just lived an amazing life. Um, but with that, I will let you hear the story directly from her. Uh, and I encourage you to stick through all the way till the end. Thank you. All right. Well, Sally, uh, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. And uh, I think people are going to really be blown away by your story and just how tightly um, your personal story matches up with what you do as a job here at Real Chemistry. But I'd like to start with how you get started, right? And I notice, you know, when I do my research, clearly all the way back to college, which is as far back as I could look, you had an interest in healthcare. Um, This has come in handy over the years, but what was the thing that got you interested in healthcare so early? You know, I was raised by a single mom, Erin. And with that came challenges. And eventually my grandparents uh, lived with me and I had a very close relationship with them. And I saw that they were older and they were more mature. And I grew so close to them. And I really loved helping those in the geriatric space. But I knew that being a nurse or, you know, getting in that day-to-day really wasn't for me. I wanted to be on more of the business aspect. So I would say that definitely having the influence of my grandparents in my life early on was what started me down the healthcare path. Well, it's cool. And like I said, it it is uh, definitely, I think, been helpful to you. And we'll get to that more in a second. Um, Part of why I'm having you on, uh, you do an amazing job here at the company, but your story is really it kind of blew me away and I'm going to let you tell it. I'm not going to spoil it, but um, we were on zoom a few weeks ago, just getting to know each other. Uh, you actually wanted to know how can we work together? You know, so marketing can do a better job supporting part of what you do uh, in your role. Um, and during that conversation, you relayed a incredible story to me, one that's dramatically shaped the last 15 years of your life. Would you mind telling us a little bit about um, your daughter, Lydia? I'd be happy to. I love talking about my daughter, Lydia. Um, I was blessed with Lydia 15 years ago. She is the middle child. I have three. And five months after her birth, she was diagnosed with a rare chromosome disorder. At the time of the diagnosis, she was only 50 in the world with this particular diagnosis. It at the time was called 9Q34.3 or 34.2, I don't remember because we don't call it by that anymore, but eventually it was named Kleefstra syndrome. And at the time of the diagnosis, they gave us a piece of paper and said she could have some of these things on this paper or she could not. And she's really going to pave her own path. 
And the, in short, the diagnosis left her with a lot of health challenges. She had over 13 specialists. She was taken by ambulance over 25 times. I think I followed in my vehicle each of those times so that I could be with her, have my car at the hospital. Um, Saw numerous, like I said, specialists, therapists. She had a very medically complex life. Um, She was diagnosed with autism as well and also epilepsy. And she had her first seizure at one and a half. So it was this life of advocacy that I had for her. I mean, for me as a mom, I should say I was her advocate the entire time, making sure that she got the right care, the best care, and as well as in the educational realm as well. Because as she moved into school, I wanted to make sure that she was getting all she needed in in that space as well. So that is the gist of my daughter. However, the story doesn't end there with my daughter's rare epilepsy, which she was diagnosed in 2013 with a rare nocturnal epilepsy called ESCS or electrical status epilepticus in sleep. It's literally epilepsy that's um, not visible to the naked eye. It's epilepsy. It's subclinical epilepsy. And for those that don't know what subclinical is, it's just, again, you can't see it. And she had these seizures. So we didn't know when she was seizing unless we saw a seizure during the daytime, like a tonic-clonic seizure. Um, But my husband and I would always say we'd lay her down to sleep. And it scared us half to death, not knowing whether she would wake up in the morning because we didn't know how much she was seizing at night. And we didn't know unless we had her have an EEG, which those are electrodes on the brain to determine if the seizures are happening and where. Unfortunately, on Mother's Day 2014, we believe a seizure took her life. Um, She did not wake up. So my husband put her to bed the day before Mother's Day and went into her room to start her morning routine, get her medications, get her going. And he found her dead in her bed. And at the time, the only health condition that we knew that she had was epilepsy. And of course we knew that it was in her sleep and that makes it very deadly when you have epilepsy in your sleep. It's a very, it puts you at very high risk for SUDEP, which is sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. So she was seven at the time. She had just turned seven the month before, I think 22 days before she died. So she was still young and we had many hopes and dreams left for her. Um, but yeah, that is, that is my daughter. That is my daughter. And that is who has shaped me to be the woman I am today. Well, first of all, I'm sorry. And thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> I knew this already and it's still making me a little bit emotional. So um, the, the amazing thing is, I think, you know, they say with any parent that loses a child, it always has a couple of different potential outcomes. One is it can break the family, right? It can break the relationship. It can break the relationship with the other children or people pick up and say, I'm going to dust myself off and do something about it. And you chose the latter, you and, and, you know, your family chose the latter. Um, We're fortunate enough about a year ago, you joined us and we'll talk a little bit more about 
some of your history before that, but as the Vice President of Community Engagement Strategy, um, part of our 21 Grams team, which is the commercialization advertising group. Let's talk a little bit about what you do in this role, then we'll get back into some of the layers of what's prepared you for doing this amazing job, in addition to that story you just told us about Lydia. Sure. You know, Aaron, it's it's no mystery that healthcare stakeholders across the industry industry are looking for more authentic and enriching relationships with patients and caregivers. They want that authenticity to show through. Um, our community engagement team, that's really what we do is we forge those relationships. There's no handoffs. It's not bringing caregivers and patients in and saying, okay, we know they have this condition and handing them off. It's really forging and building those relationships of people impacted by these diseases or conditions our clients deliver treatment for. And we harness this relationship by, by doing a few things. Um, we capture a real unfiltered understanding of the experience. So having myself lived as a caregiver, knowing what they go through, it's, it is, it is understanding and fully understanding and making sure that their authentic real voice is heard in the messaging. Um, and that's through channeling those real stories of the patients and the families, because we want to not only educate those interested in possibly seeking the same treatment or understanding it, but also the HCPs who help these individuals. And then the last part is really humanizing the people who are part of this community. I, I can't emphasize that enough. I think a lot of times our physicians, you know, they, they are tasked with helping people and working with them as well as our clients. But at the end of the day, these are people that are living with this disease and these conditions 24 seven. And, um, we want pharma and HCPs to know how to best serve them. And that's really, again, in humanizing their experiences and their story and their journey. Well, it's great. And it's interesting because, um, Frank Mazzola, who's our chief creative officer, did a podcast the other day, which should be live by the time this goes live, and uh, was talking to Larry Dobrow of MM&M. And one of the things that he talked about is in our desire to know the patient, to, to really know what they go through, he said, if you're advertising something like Oreos, right, you go, you open up a bunch of packages, you dip them in milk, you eat them, and it's sort of as an experience. But in this particular case, especially if it's in a more rare disease space, knowing what the caregivers and the patient and the whole ecosystem are experiencing to your point is so critically important to know how to best engage with them and also to create, you know, come up with the right treatments and therapies and all of that. I do want to dig a little bit more into your past. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I want to, I want to agree with you because I have the creative teams coming to me as a former caregiver and saying, we want we want to talk with the client about this particular design or option and what are your thoughts is this would this resonate with caregivers are they going to listen are they going to understand are they going to feel heard and that's where i step in in my role as well to share that's not authentic or that's not of interest to the caregivers they're in the weeds every day we need to figure out how to reach them there right. it is really really important that they're understood and heard in the work that we do. 
Well, and that's a good segue because, you know, one of the other things you did is in between having this, you know, amazing journey and caring for your daughter and your other children, and now coming to us, you know, in this particular role, you spent a little over three years as the senior director of the uh, Epilepsy Foundation. I'm sure that was a bittersweet experience, right? Because you've gone through this traumatic experience in your life, but you're there to be able to help, you know, some of these other people. So, Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what role that played. And um, especially because I think when you joined, it was probably not that long after you lost Lydia. And so it, it was even a little more raw than it is now. Well, and Aaron, I should really back up because I don't want people to look at me as, oh, this is the mom that lost her child and she was a caregiver. And that's why she's here. My degree is in healthcare administration. My entire career has been in healthcare, whether it be marketing, um, research, um, in so sales, there's been so many different areas having worked for a commercial insurance company that I grew my healthcare experience. And so with that, along with being a caregiver is really where I, you know, have come full circle here. So didn't want to not mention that as well, because sometimes they, people just see this part about my life where I lost my daughter. But after I lost her, I realized that life is short. And so when I look at my life now and what I want to accomplish, I want to make a difference for others. I want to help others, just like my daughter helped me in my life. She gave me so much in her short life. And she taught me so much that I took that and I said, okay, what do I want to do to make a difference? And that's when I went to the Epilepsy Foundation and I was the director of their SUDEP Institute, which, um, as I mentioned before, SUDEP is Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. So I took this passion for helping and just put it on a bigger scale as part of the National Epilepsy Foundation. And it was amazing opportunity to be on the advocacy side now, right? So I moved from caregiver to being um, in the advocacy space and working for a major advocacy organization um, and learning so much more just beyond the SUDEP Institute to help people and inform them to take care of their epilepsy and ways to mitigate the possibility of SUDEP. So that was a wonderful opportunity, a, a ton of speaking engagements and traveling around the country getting to know people who were living with epilepsy and empowering them to take these steps. And then also obviously helping people who had lost someone to epilepsy. And that was especially hard because it was like reliving that journey every single day that I had gone through. And I I shouldn't even say journey. I should say that reliving my daughter's passing every day by talking to families who had also had the same thing. And I am a person that I know that I was in that role to make a difference. I was in that role to use my voice. And there were days when I was listening to families who had lost that I felt so helpless that um, it, it crushed me, not because of my own loss, but because I couldn't fix theirs because that was what I had put on my own self as my personal mission is to make this difference. Well, there was one particular notable person, um, I think probably put SUDEP on the map for a lot of people. 
And that was uh, actor Cameron Boyce, who I think many folks know from his Disney Channel fame. Um, he died, and I think it was right around, uh, he was about 20 years old. And what was amazing is, as I was doing my research, and I think this may have come up even when we were talking, because I know you ended up on Good Morning America, uh, you reached out to his mom, Libby. You were one of the first organizations in the epilepsy space to do this. And I guess one of the things I have to ask is, and you sort of touched on this a little bit, but you know, what's what's one of the first things you say to a parent of a child that has died of something like SUDAP that, you know, took him so suddenly and unexpectedly? So I'm going to do a little bit of lesson about grief in general, not just of a loss of a child. I think grief is more awkward for those that are listening to someone who's lost than it is for the person themselves. And there are no words that you can say that relieves this pain. Um, there's all the cliche sayings, right? That we've all heard of they're in a better place, or at least they're not suffering. Or in some case, when you have a child, people will say, well, at least you have two other children <laughs> or you have another child. They all come from a good place, right? Aaron, I don't think people mean ill intent ever, but I think the only words that you can say, and that what I said to Libby is, I'm sorry. And I want you to know I'm here for you. I'm here to listen. I can't fix it, but I'm here to listen and I'm sorry. And when you say you're there to listen or you're there for the person, really be there for them. Really, really be there with your whole and entire being. You're sitting in that pain and that's sometimes really hard. So that was that's my suggestion on any grief situation, but especially with children. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really helpful because just to make it personal for a second, I lost my dad a little over a year ago. And Sorry. one of the things that I think people, thank you. Um, one of the things I think people always struggle with is when you do lose someone so close to you, what do you say? Do you give them space? Do you like, you know, and I will tell you, I had people that reached out to me, you know, immediately and it was so comforting. And I think just saying what you're saying right now is, I'm sorry, I'm here for you. I went through something similar. You know, I can only imagine how hard it is. And it's really, I, I would encourage people that if you do come from that place of empathy, right, and you are sort of doing it um, with the right intent, which I agree, most people are, you know, good intended. Um, it's always helpful when you do that and just letting them know that you're, you know, that you're caring about them, right? I want to talk about, and you, you care know, about them beyond the initial loss. That's so, right. That's right. For instance, I will still text Libby and I will still say hi. And I'm thinking of her. There's times where, you know, I'll see something on the news about Cameron or he'll just happen to pop in my head or, you know, come July is the death date. And I'll let her know that she's in my thoughts. So doing it just beyond, because this type of loss, especially of a child is forever. Yeah, it is forever. That's right. Um, beyond the amazing things that you've done, you know, through your journey of healthcare, and it, just to go back to what you were saying, it's part of why I wanted to start, start off talking about your mission, you know, around healthcare, because you did do this before any of this happened to you, right? That was your intent. So Absolutely. you had pre-dedicated yourself to it and then had something that helped you double down on that commitment. But one of the things that I thought was um, so amazing, and I, I know I've used the word amazing way too many times, but uh, <laughs> okay. You know, given the fact that there's no good that you could really say ever comes out of the death of a child, but 
if there's a modicum of comfort that you and your husband can take from this, um, you helped pass a law in the state of Wisconsin, right? That's called Lydia's Law. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about sort of what was the law? Why was it important? What did you have to do to fight to get this passed? And I know you worked, you know, with and on behalf of other parents uh, who had faced similar situations to Lydia. And ideally, what you've done will help save other people's lives going forward. Yes, and I'm glad you pointed out with and other parents, because although I may have led the grassroots effort, it was truly with the other parents who had a mission of trying to help their children that were part of this and made this a go. And my village, my village of people, right? Because it doesn't just take one voice sometimes to make uh, legislative changes. It takes the many voices and doing it in a respectful, educating way is so helpful. So Lydia's Law, um, my daughter with this rare epilepsy, along with her rare chromosome disorder, had the odds against her. And we really, for six months, seven months, tried every pharmaceutical option out there. She did it via IV. She did it, you know, orally and nothing would really hit them and help them be at bay. And as I mentioned before, with constant seizures, you just put yourself at a higher risk for death from epilepsy, unfortunately. And so we talked about surgery, but that could have left her with an infection, part of her brain gone. Um, she could have had the risk of stroke. There was a lot of risks and the data just didn't show me that that was enough for us to, to take that route. And the other option at the time in 2014 was CBD and it wasn't very well known and it was kind of a last resort that I thought we had to take. And I remember sitting down with my husband and telling him about it and saying, you know, there's CBD, it's, you know, part of the marijuana. And I was just giving him very basic information. And, and he said, well, that's going to be really hard in our state to change the minds of people and legislators. And I said, you're right, but she's my daughter and our daughter. And, and I wouldn't be her mother if I didn't try everything I could to help her. Sorry, I'm getting emotional about that. That's okay. I mean, look, this is hard. And so take your time. Yeah. So I just, I just fought. I just fought for, for the availability of it and educating people about it. And doing it in, like I said, in a very respectful way that people were listening. They were listening and there had been a mom who had already quietly worked with a legislator to get a law going and he had written it. And so we just kind of all, you know, came together to work together. And my goal was that every time somebody would turn on in the news in the state of Wisconsin, that you would see a parent saying, you know, we need to have this option. And the law passed um, three days before her seventh birthday, April 16th. But unfortunately, the way it was written um, made it unavailable for us to access. And that was disheartening. And I remember talking to my senator who said, well, this happens with laws that it just takes time. And I, I remember telling him, 
And this was after she died. I said, she didn't have time. Um, but when the law passed, I had thought about, okay, well, would I move her to another state to just have access and try see if it works? I don't know if it's going to work. And I was going to do that. I was going to leave my husband here in the state of Wisconsin, move to another state and see if it worked for her. Um, and her EEG was scheduled for May 17th, but she ended up dying May 11th. And so we never got that opportunity. And I didn't want to not, I didn't want to do it illegally because I never wanted her to be taken away from me. Right. Because if, if I did do it illegally, there would be that chance. And I knew her care like no one else. So I didn't do that. Um, and again, she ended up passing. And after she passed, the governor of Wisconsin called me and asked me if they could name the law Lydia's law. And I, of course, at first said, yes, thank you so much. But then I reached out to all the other parents that worked so hard. And I said, this was a, an effort by all of us, not just me. So I would like to understand if this is okay with you. And if not, I completely understand. But they were all very gracious and said, yes, absolutely. So this law that really, I guess, helped put CBD on the map. I don't want to say it did because so many states and individuals worked nationwide, but it did help put CBD on the map and help that movement. Well, kudos to you and your husband for doing that. <clears throat> and um, so, yeah, that's just such a great story for, from something that could have been so horrible, was so horrible, but you you really put good into the world as a result of something, you know, so, so tragic to you. I have to keep remembering that it was so much good in the world because... I worked full time and then I would do that effort at night and it took time away from my daughter. And so when she died, all the regret I had was, wow, I was working so hard to try to save her that I wasn't with her. Yeah. So it's, that's still the hard part for me. I, I can only imagine, but um, you know, it, it is, as I was reading about it, I thought to myself, like what an amazing gifts you gave to the world and all the children and the parents that were impacted by that. So that says a tremendous amount about you and your husband that you were able to do that. And that was our goal. We always said, if it didn't help her, we hoped that the effort would help someone else. So. So bringing it full circle. And then I have a couple of final questions for you. Not everyone, especially people that are working in this community engagement type role, you know, helping to do better outreach, research, understanding of the patients that need help, right, um, have gone through the journey that you've gone through. Are there any words of wisdom that you can give to them? And I know we've shared some of those already that just, you know, how, how do you think about being, you know, walking in those shoes and getting to know and doing so in a respectful way so that we can create better therapies and better drugs and, you know, better molecules to, to really help cure people or, or give people the best care they possibly can have? I think it centers around that, that buzzword patient centricity. So a colleague and I were talking this week about that word and he had said, you know, it seems to be a little cliche in our industry and we always say it, but few understand really what it means or how to put it into practice. And given my journey, my experience, you know, I have, she had over 13 specialists and there was many health issues with her. For instance, she cried for three months straight 
And we went to every specialist to find out what was going on. She, she was nonverbal, so she couldn't tell me. And I, we had to put the puzzle pieces together. And I remember she had an esophagus issue and uh, Philadelphia hospital had told me that it was most likely caused by a food allergy. I thought her screaming issues for three months straight were due to an, um, a gastrointestinal issue, possibly a food allergy. And I suggested that to her doctor who was supposedly the best in his, his field. And, um, I said, why don't we remove this particular food from her diet and see if this helps and reduces the screaming because she was screaming eight hours a day. And he yelled at me, he stood in the hospital room and yelled at me and told me absolutely not. And I remember at that time thinking, I see her 24 seven. I have lived with her screaming for three months for eight to 10 hours a day in some sort of pain, but we're not working together here. And on the flip side, Erin, I've also had doctors that have been amazing, amazing. My daughter's ENT uh, doctor saw her for so many things that (laughs) had gone wrong um, with her. And when she died, he wrote me a handwritten letter. And not only did he say that he would miss her, and miss me, but he mentioned things about her that he would miss. And he specifically mentioned the song that I would play for her in the office to calm her. You are my sunshine. And he commented on that. And he said, I will miss hearing that song. And again, getting choked up about it because that's an interaction with a physician. I will never, ever forget. Just like the one of him yelling at me but the one of him really truly understanding us and hearing us and being present and really seeing us as humans is what really makes a difference. I still take my kids to him now because I do value him that much more for that personal note. So when you think about patient centricity, it's really humanizing it and putting it into practice. I have this unique view, right, into what that looks like, what patient-centric is, and what it should mean to our families and the clients we serve, and helping not only our clients, but our internal teams better understand how to support the people in these communities. And, And that has been immensely rewarding. But I think Again, if I have these words of wisdom, it's looking at patient centricity and really, really understanding it and putting it into practice. Well, it's such an important reminder. And I think you touched on something so important, which is listening to the people that are the closest to the patient, right? And, you know, my wife has always contended, you know, during her three pregnancies, there are things our first daughter was breached, undiagnosed, and she knew something was wrong. And we had a lovely OBGYN, but they wouldn't listen to the fact that it's like, I know that something is wrong. And fortunately that all worked out, but it is one of those things where, you know, you have to really just be so such a good listener and just open the possibility of the fact that this person knows them better than anyone. Right. And they spend all this time with them and they're the person that loves them and cares the most for them. So probably a good idea to take that into account. So um, that those great words of wisdom, I want to end on a little bit of a lighter note, and this is something that during the pandemic, I've started asking all my guests 
Um, you've already put a lot of good into the world, but um, if you have other opportunities to do something good or fun for yourself, your family, the world, it's the, you have one wish, what is it and, and why? So I look at this both personally and professionally, and I hope I can throw that in there. Um, I think one wish professionally is that the community engagement team and I work together with the people that are impacted by chronic health conditions and making sure, just as I've said so many times throughout this podcast, that they are heard, they are understood, and they're cared for, not just as patients, not just as people living with a disease or a condition or the caregivers or people in their community, but really as humans. And there's still so much more to do in this area. And I hope that through that wish, we can make this world such a healthier place. And then personally, which gets a little heavy, I'm sure, but personally, I really wish I had one last moment with my daughter just to tell her that I really tried. I really tried my hardest as her mom to keep her here on earth and that in her death, I don't want it to be in vain. And then I'm going to do my best to help others and make a difference in this world and make a mark um, for her. And I just want to make her proud. I just want to tell her that I want to make her proud. And that would be my wish. Well, we've had a lot of um, very powerful wishes. That is truly a, a powerful wish. And I'm a big believer in sort of this higher power in the universe working together and I will tell you, you've done an amazing job and I'm sure that she knows that you've done an amazing job and that you did everything you could. So. Thank you. Thank you. I hope so. I hope so. So one last truly lighter question and we debated whether to do this or not. And I actually really want to ask it now because I think it will bring some nice levity as we sort of complete this uh, fabulous, you know, heart heartbreaking, but fabulous story of what you and, you know, what you're doing, what you've done. And that is, I do like to ask people because I love to sort of just see how they think. And that is, you're on a proverbial deserted island. You can only take one album with you. Um, which album would you take? And I love the fact that I know the answer that you're going to give. And I think <laughs> it will make people smile. So. so I don't think it's an album, but it would be an artist. And I saw her in concert and I just see her as such a proverbial badass. Um, it would be pink. I just, I just look at her. She speaks her mind. She is authentic. Um, I've seen her acrobats in concert and I'm just always amazed. And she just, she has these like fight songs. I feel like they're about fighting and, and, but yet they're about beauty as well. So it's this beautiful tragedy. Right. And I feel like that really resonates with me and my life. And if I was all by myself on an Island, I would want her that, that presence and that that badass presence to be there with me to keep, tell me to keep going. And that, that's what I would, that's what I would bring as her songs. Well, it's interesting because uh, when you told me up front as we were prepping that that was your choice, I thought, wow, this is really good. And then as I listened to your whole journey and then completing it with this, it really is the perfect way to end it. So with that, um, I've had Sally Schaefer, who's the VP of community engagement strategy, part of 21 grams. Uh, joining us today, telling us about her amazing journey, 
um, heartbreaking but amazing and, and all the good that she's done. I'm Aaron Strout, the Chief Marketing Officer at Real Chemistry and the host of the, the Real Chemistry Podcast. Sally, thank you so much for sharing your story and again, kudos for doing what you do. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you and sharing my journey and my role here. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry Podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.